When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So here's the real question. Uh-huh. And this isn't like me being like, like, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. Which shit are we talking about? <laughs> is it, is there, there's obviously like a strange musical and recording arc of my shit that kind of goes. Yeah. Do, do you know what we're talking about? Do you have anything in mind? Dude, I was just going to start at the beginning and like, uh, we'll talk the music and we'll get into the recording and just kind of leave it. That works. How it, how it happened. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, like, I can't imagine anybody that you've interviewed, like, where some shit is, like, off limits or something no, ridiculous. There's, yeah, there's...
Welcome you to Porch Talk. We are in Old Elegante Studios in Birmingham. I have Les Newby here with me. Hello. Appreciate you taking the time, man. No problem. Oh, and and sorry it took so long to get it together. Oh no. Yeah. No. No sweat, man. I've been, there's plenty of people to talk to. I hope so. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just glad that you were down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And like you said before we got started, man, there's a lot to talk about. I just want to start from the start. Yeah. And now we know all the things that are off limits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is nothing nothing yeah. nothing is yeah. off limits yeah i'll no, try no I, bars. And, and i'll and i'll be i'll be nice <laughs> yeah so uh man where are you from mm. i'm from birmingham alabama mm-hmm. uh, and i went to uh i only i only referenced that i went to mountain brook high school because a lot of people that i still work with today i went to high school with like west west mcdonald that was just in the room a moment ago Um, I've known Wes since we were probably in seventh grade Mm -hmm. and in some way, shape or form played music with Wes, um, off and on and on more on lately. Um, probably since like 1987. So it was Vulture Whale and such. Like, uh, oh, I mean it, like I'm talking like he was the drummer in my band in junior high. Oh. Like that long ago. And actually what's funny is the Vulture Whale thing came up, you know, so many years later and it was Wes as a guitarist singer. Not even as a drummer anymore, mm-hmm. but another guy that went to high school with Jake, Jake Waitsman, played drums. So it's like nice little tight knit group of friends. And also the Verbena stuff began pretty much in high school, also, because yeah. Scott Bondy went to Mountain Brook with us. I didn't know that. Uh, but just how old when you went when you picked up music? Uh, my dad, my dad played guitar, and so there was always guitars around. Like all my. Mm. All the male grandparents, grand uncles, you know, great uncles, all that stuff. Like everyone, uh, they all played guitar or piano or or pedal steel. And so, I mean, I was just, I was just an annoying little kid trying. Had your hands on it. Yeah, trying to mess with their stuff that they didn't want me to. And then eventually, when I was, I mean, when I was in my my early teens, my um, my great uncle gave me this a solid state Silvertone amp. And my dad had guitars. So I think it was an excuse for my dad to buy new guitars that they were for me or us or something. Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, cause, like, no 12 year old needs a Les Paul, you know? So it was like my dad's guitar, you know? Tell me about the Rickenbacker. The, oh, oh, the Rickenbacker. How'd you, how'd you come across that? The Fire Glow Rickenbacker. Um, it, uh, it, I was 13 years old. And because Wes it, told me you've had it forever. I've had it for, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, and actually, it was a combination in seventh grade of make good grades. My birthday's in April. Christmas is clearly in December. Mm-hmm. And it was a make good grades. This is the gift for both of those. And I mean, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, mowing lawns to, to like save up money to like get, you know, get instruments. It was always a barter system. It was always a contract with my parents of like, like pretty much don't screw up. Just don't do dumb shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and make good grades. But also, for years and years and years, my father would refer to that guitar as his guitar. Even though I can count on one hand how many times he played it. It was like twice, you know. But, like, at Forbes Music downtown, in downtown Birmingham, they um, they had uh, a very small selection of electric guitars. Now, I knew, like, Rickenbacker, Beatles, Tom Petty, um, R.E.M., and, you know, it's like... I. Um, the Romantics, the Bangles, like all these other bands, the Birds, like so. All I knew was I wanted a Rickenbacker, but I had no idea which Rickenbacker. Like, 
And the Fireglow Rickenbacker ended up being the only one, the only one anywhere in Birmingham. And so, like, worked worked out the, you know, negotiated the deal with the parents, ended up getting that guitar. But what's crazy is the the um, the black one to the right of it is the guitar that I, that, that, the black one is, the, is like the one. It's the one that looks like, you know, it's the Peter Buck one. It's like the uh-huh. Tom Petty one. It's the George Harrison one. The one on the left is actually the one that was done afterwards with the bat wing. And... But I didn't know that. I mean, there's no internet. There's no, you know, there's yeah. there's no way to find out. So it just ended up that the Fireglow Rickenbacker became like the main main guitar from age like 13. And honestly, you know, it's n- not to go off on some weird tangent, but like, you know, I've had that guitar for like over 30 years. Right. And it looks like I mean, there are a few little nicks on it and stuff like that, but it's not like road worn. Mm-hmm. Like it's not relicked. Like as I have an issue with relicked instruments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like, why don't you just take care of your shit? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, now keep in mind, I'll pick up like a relic strat from, I mean, yeah. you know, I do it all the time and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. But it's like, but those aren't, I didn't relic it. It doesn't yeah. need to show up relic. That's all, you know, yeah, I got that you. thing is relic. Like a little still looks, ash is like. Yeah, like, I like, but it's like, I don't need it to look like it was like thrown underneath a bus. Yeah. You know, for it to be like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like. You don't buy cars like that. Mm-mm. I mean, maybe. I mean, there's obviously exceptions to every all the bullshit I'm talking right now. But like, yeah, I mean, like the way I see it is like, I don't know, man. Wipe off your guitar. Don't throw it. Yeah. Don't throw it at people. But yeah, the Rickenbacker's been like the mainstay for ever. Yeah, we got on a conversation about that yesterday while I was with Taylor and Josh. Is uh, that was a um, your name come up, and I think that was the first thing Josh said. Uh, Rickenbacker. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'm what. Well, I appreciate being closely associated. <laughs> it's, and so it was uh, the influence, it was Tom Petty and those guys that made you want it? Well, so it's primarily, those... honestly, primarily Peter Buck from R.E.M. Okay. Primarily. Now, obviously, I liked Tom Petty, because who doesn't? And right. But also, it's like, man, I like the Beatles, and I like the Birds. and but, but it really kind of went backwards of, like, I knew Peter Buck played one. And then you discover, like, oh, well, wait, Pete Townsend played one. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody played a Rick kind of at some weird point. I mean, except for, like, you know, Hendrix. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it, it was actually described to me one time as, like, it's the guitar for non-guitarists. Hmm. Because it's kind of, like, you know, it, like, not everybody picks up a Rick and it's, like, a magic moment. You know, but... Like, yeah, since it was, like, the first real electric guitar that I ever owned, it's like, yeah, that's what guitar, like, a hollow a hollow or a semi-hollow body is exactly what feels correct to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a Strat, and, like, I've got a Gibson Explorer and stuff, and, like, those are really cool, but, like, those are just other, like, little flavors to throw on things. Like, mm-hmm. like, the, like the, the Yamaha SA2000, it's a Gibson 335 copy, but I highly recommend the Yamaha way over a Gibson 335. Wow. Like, I don't know why. It just feels right. Like, you know, and like, I, I, I walked in, and this is over 20 years ago, but like, I would go into Highland Music, and every time I was there, I would pick up this Yamaha Hollowbody. And it would be like, oh, well, the Yamaha Hollowbody, like, it feels right. Nobody goes into a music store and says, no, I'm not looking for Fenders or Gibsons. I'm looking for Yamaha because they make four wheelers. You know, like, yeah, right. You know, and it just, that guitar in particular was like, even last night I was looking on Reverb at, like, if anything ever happened to it, could I find another one? And the answer is yes. And they're not cheap. Why aren't they cheap? Yeah, it's Yamaha. It should, yeah, it should be free. It, I mean, but they're all vintage now. Mm-hmm. Well, vintage in years. Like, they're all, like, 79 to 85. Yeah. And it's like, 
$1,500 for a damn Yamaha guitar? I mean, do I need it? Need it? Oh, no. but that's crazy to say it's better than a Gibson. I do, I do think it. Well, it's like there's something about a Gibson that, like, I don't know, it just sounds a little bit different. It gets, to me, different. I can make it sound like a lot of different things, and a Gibson 335 always sounds like a Gibson 335 to me, mm-hmm. which, which they're phenomenal guitars. But Yeah, I was thinking about getting a hollow body a couple of years ago, and I was hung up on a Gretsch just because of the, uh, oh, yeah. the looks. And then I started playing with it and putting different pedals and trying out different sounds, and I was like, I don't want this. Mm. Gretsch is a beautiful guitar. But it's kind of like, you know, um, if I'm in a music store, which is typically Highland Music, because I, I live near there, and and I've known Don my whole life now, it's like, I'll go in there and I'll pick up, like, you know, like a vintage Les Paul and play through, like, a little Fender amp, and I'm just like, holy shit, this is, this is it. This is my new jam. Everything else can go. I'm starting over. This is it. And then I listen to my own material, and there's, well, I'm not going to play a Gibson Les Paul through, like, a little Fender amp. That's not what I write like. Mm-hmm. And just because I can do it doesn't mean it should be done. Yeah. It's like, you know, you want, like, you want a Jimmy Page-style solo on a song? Sure, I can swing that. But I don't write Led Zeppelin songs. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't sing like Robert Plant. I mean, just because I like it doesn't mean that I need to emulate it. So, mm-hmm. well, Let's take it back right there. So we're in high school. we got Jake, um, Wes. Uh, you mentioned Rubina. Yeah, yes. Um, um, when we – and uh, Scott was – two years older than us and we played we played in some in, in a band in high school like we both played guitar and did vocals and it was this you know kind of like fun noisy shoegazy stuff and then um we continued to play i ended up going to co- i went to college at birmingham southern and in my first year of college first year second year somewhere in there like um i ended up scott called me and asked me no wait I'm saying it all wrong weird okay for a school trip for the month of January I went to Washington D.C. and New York to look at art museums and write a single paper for like a January term uh-huh. and this sounds really hoity-toity but it was like a it was just an, kind of an excuse to go out of town for three weeks and I was like 19 or I was 19 and I got um I got a message at the hotel. It felt very official mm-hmm. to have, like, there's a message at the front desk. And it was our friend Carrie Eccles, who was the writer for Black and White for the magazine here in town, the monthly, or bi-monthly. And they had sent me a cassette tape of this unnamed band, and they asked if I would want to play drums. And it was Scott and Daniel Johnston, Duquette Johnston and Anne-Marie Griffin. It's what became the band Verbena. And they already had a drummer, but he was leaving the band. Mm-hmm. And I ended now, up... Now, when did drums come in your life? Man, it was I, guitar first? It or? was guitar first, but honestly, I mean, like, Wes had drums, mm-hmm. and my sister's boyfriend, when, you know, when, he, when they were off at college, he left his drums at my parents' house so I could play with them because I had a four-track and... Like, honestly, I, I always thought drums were really cool, but I never took lessons or anything, and we just didn't know anybody. I mean, like, by the time that people were, like, off at college and doing things, it's like, by you know, it was like, we just didn't really, there weren't a shit ton of drummers in town. And it was like, well, if I can keep a beat, I was like, it can't be that hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, it's as hard as you want it to be. So it's... I was like, well, if I can keep a beat, if I can imitate these other songs, if I can play along with easy stuff, I'll bet that I can play along with stuff in a band. And, 
like I, I swear it's like it, it was many many years into the band Verbena when I finally sort of acknowledged like I think I'm a drummer like I think you know I've always played guitar but I've always been like a, a guitarist who owns drums mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like when a guitarist is playing bass you can tell yeah because they're just not playing like a bass player right like and then there are people who are bass players like I just kind of always thought like oh no I'm a guitarist but I just kind of know how to play drums I mean we were three records deep into into Verbena before so, I, mean, I really acknowledged it get back to your story so they contacted you about playing in the band they're about to lose their drummer yeah they, yeah um, their drummer Louis Schifano was leaving and oh, yeah. they just had like they had two shows booked one was at the Nick and the next one was at South by Southwest which I didn't even know what that was and I was like oh, a show at the Nick and a show in Austin if the show at the Nick goes okay. So I learned these songs. We have a handful of practices. And it's like, I remember during the show at the Nick, I mean, like, man, like, you know, I don't own a real, real drum set. I'm just like kind of going along. And I'm like, Scott and Daniel both sort of said to the crowd, like, oh, you know, we want to welcome Les as our new drummer. And that was when I was 19. Mm -hmm. And then about five seconds later, I was 33 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I was yeah it's like I mean it was like oh well it's like we played the Nick we played it South by Southwest and we were lucky enough in the in the early to mid 90s to be able to like they already had it set up to release some singles the 45s through Merge Records I didn't I was like oh yeah the Super Chunk label like I didn't know it was important yeah and I didn't know Merge was that cool and then we like, like we kind of systematically, like we would go, we, like we would max out a credit card trying to play the Nick in every town that we could. And I just kind of figured, well, I guess I'm just in a band that's on tour now, which is what I always wanted. Yeah. And then we were lucky enough to have good opportunities come our way. Like, but it wasn't because, I mean, but we were like, Verbena was a, was a seven days a week practice every day band. I mean, it was like, this is how you get good. Mm-hmm. This is also how you, you know, like any other small family, you become pretty frustrated with each other. And I'm sure that I was, I was definitely a, a, a high candidate for not being quite a picnic in that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I definitely had some really strong opinions and so did Scott, so did Daniel, so did Ant, like, but it kind of made our weird music thing work. So, and so like uh South by Southwest, all these things that y'all were doing in these different towns, trying to play and practice every day. Was, yeah. Did y'all have somebody behind you helping you? Or no. Was, it was all y'all. It was just us. Okay. And I mean, and eventually, eventually, yes. Eventually, it was like there was a British label that wanted to get involved, and they paid for the first record. And by the time we finished the record and went on tour, um, for like the tour for that, we were just on tour all the time. So saying like we went on tour, it's like we'd just be gone like three months at a time. Just mm-hmm. takes about six weeks to do the whole country, or it did then. And so it was like you know us in a van, not really knowing where we were staying, and. Then eventually we got a booking agent, so that helped. So mm-hmm. at least it's booked, and we then we're just like, where are we staying? And then I had the opportunity to um, open. We opened for the Foo Fighters. Oh, that's cool. And it was, and it was really cool. It, I mean, we it, we were out of our we were out of our depth, like in a, some serious ways. But became friends with them, went overseas, and did some shows. And at that point, Capitol Records had gotten involved. And, you know, they saw momentum and maybe we're doing something cool that they could profit off of one day. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was like, well, if we're going to make a record and it's for Capitol, if we, if we get Dave Grohl to produce the first major label record, our bet was that Capitol was going to let us do anything we wanted. And we were right. Wow. So it was, so Grohl produced a record for us at Sound City. 
and we were the first band he had ever produced. So it's like at this point, I mean, we were all like 23 and 24 years old and he uh-huh. was only like 28. So it's like, you know, everyone's still very young trying to do these very adult things. Yeah. And so at this time, like how long had the Food Fighters been around? We're talking like They were, uh, they were, um, two records in. Okay. So first record had come out and they toured. Then the color and the shape came out mm-hmm. and it was, it was on those tours that we did with them that the song Everlong became like a huge song. Mm-hmm. It solidified them. And, and it was cool. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of Nirvana. Like Grohl is a hilarious, nice guy. I really like those first handful of Foo Fighters records too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and still in their records, there'll be like little shining moments of like, oh, this sounds really great. Or this is what, this is the thing I like about them. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely like, it was a weird, I mean, l- like looking back on it now, it was a weird time period of like, like lucky enough to be involved in a band that was willing to do the work that then had some good opportunities happen. And then next thing you know, it's like, you know, we're, you know, hitting the, hitting the early 2000s and it's like, oh, well, you know, we're going to do um, another record for Capital. And at that point, me- members had kind of come and gone in Verbena. It was primarily just me and Scott. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were lucky enough to work with this guy, Rob Schnapp, who had done like, we just wanted to work with him because it's like, well, he's done Beck stuff and he's done Elliot Smith stuff. So we'll work, it'd be great to work with him. Uh-huh. And it was working with him that made, I mean, like, man, I was kind of like, I mean, I was pretty burnt out. Like, everybody in the band probably didn't like each other very much. Again, with me being a candidate for probably most not likable <laughs> in the band situation. Like, um, but, uh, like, meeting and working with Rob Schnapp is what made me go, oh, music's really fun. It's about who you're with. Like, and even now, like, you know, I've been friends with Rob for shit. I mean, we're at 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, or eight, no, 19 years. And, so like 19 years ago, meeting Rob Schnapp made me kind of go like, man, I've always been the guy like with a four track or an eight track or reel to reel or eight ats or computer or whatever. Like, I was like, I was like, this is really inspiring. And like Rob and I are still really good friends. Like, and actually all of us in the band are still really good friends with Rob. He's a phenomenal guy, but it made me go, okay. At that point I was living in Los Angeles. I was like, I'll bet, I'll bet if I move back to Birmingham, where you can actually afford to live. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, I'll bet that I could, I could probably open a studio. Like, I don't know if I can record anybody, but I'll bet I, I bet it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. And then that began second half of like the band Vulturewell started. I started recording bands and it became like, that's my job this is it. You know, it was like, and with like interesting musical people along the way also. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned early on with the um, sister's boyfriend would leave the drum track. Yeah. You had a four track, so yeah. you had been dabbling and recording all that yeah, time? Yeah, probably since like seventh grade. And so uh, during Verbena, I mean, were you dabbling then while on the road? Yeah, we, well, Scott Scott had a really good knack for it also, and we had a reel-to-reel eight track, but only seven of the tracks worked, <laughs> and all of the original 45s we released were, were done on this thing. I mean, and, and it was like the first time of like, that was the first time that I saw that home recordings could be real, real. You could really record at home and find a label to really release it. Mm-hmm. Like, because otherwise it was always kind of like, eh, this is fun, but eventually you like kind of go to a commercial studio and do it. And it turned into a, you know, home recordings, especially indie releases, are 
you know, there's something charming about it being lo-fi. There's something about, you know, you don't, don't need to sound like Steely Dan to be a good record. Right. And, and as much as I do like pristine recordings, I also like gritty, gross shit, too. Yeah. And, and I think I've kind of found a, found a happy medium of, like, being able to control how clean and how gross it is. And, you know, with, like we were talking about Taylor Honeycutt, it's a good example of, like, man, Taylor sounds amazing. Her vocals are, like, super strong. But it needs to be a little bit dirgy. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's too clean, it's boring. Like, if she's always going to sound gritty. Uh-huh. But if the music sounds vanilla, it's like, eh, it's not memorable. Like, make it feel kind of live. Because uh-huh. it actually is live. So, it's live except for a couple of vocal switches. Like, yeah. And just, I guess uh, it was probably done at his house, but I think about when you say lo-fi, first thing that comes to my mind is that little uh, cassette tape with uh, Taylor that happened like, oh, last yeah. year with uh, the lo-fi chicken fried. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm, those are my favorite things. Like, I don't, yeah, I, don't, those, I, don't, I don't really go for the polish. Yeah, those are the ones, that, like, like, and Taylor's a really good example because he had, he had a brief stint of being in Verbena as a guitarist, like as a second guitarist. And, like, and then he did a record that was just his first solo record and it was like real like studio label involved solo record and Macy's the bass player and I'm the drummer and even with that it was like always going to be too clean for Taylor mm-hmm. too like or too polished and it you know Taylor is the best example of like you know it's it, it there's not going to be like the one hit it, there's going to be like a body of work of really interesting things and mm-hmm. they will switch genres and it'll be like something like really like country or it'll be the blips or it'll be something like really arena rock guitar like you know still this day like Taylor's probably one of the like top three guitarists I've ever been around and it's like he's one of those guitars that make it makes you want to quit playing guitar (laughs) like man I'm okay at guitar like but he's really good at guitar yeah I remember it was the first time I'd ever saw him he played at the Sunstroke House in Columbus and it was just it was him and Brad Armstrong yeah they shared the night and uh, I think Taylor's first song that night was uh, Westphalia, and uh, my, my jaw dropped. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. This dude is, he's not good, he's great. Well, and, it, well, and it, it's a, it's the perfect storm of, like, he's so talented. He's got a really weird left of center voice, and it might not be for everybody, but it's 110% sincere. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no bullshit. Like, there's no, mm-hmm. you either get it or you don't. And right. if you don't, screw it. You do it again, mm-hmm. you know? And that's something Taylor's pretty amazing at, so... Yeah, it's, like, Taylor is such an interesting character because, like, like he and I have never... And, and with me engineering or producing, we've never done, like... Like, I engineered the blip stuff, but it was intentionally, like, eh, I'm just throwing up some mics and capturing it. Like, I didn't mix it or anything because Brad Timko did. And it's, like... Uh, it's It's funny, though, because, like... Already, it's like whatever it is Taylor wants, Taylor needs to be in charge of. So I kind of just I'm a hands off person with Taylor with Taylor musically in that way of like ah uh, I don't need to try to steer. I mean I can steer other people if they need steering, and Taylor just doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. Like you know we we can set up three mics and do a whole record probably in about an hour, but you know I'm gonna want to clean it up and he's not gonna want to clean it uh-huh. up, and it probably didn't need to be cleaned up. So you know. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I think. Uh, let's see, I think I've heard that uh, said that he don't he doesn't like mixing and mastering. Mm. Just let it be. Yep. Yeah, the, the, I mean he he you know 
he truly like is a capture it and it is what it is. You know, he's experimental in a lot of ways, but he uh he's I don't know, it's like get it and get it raw. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's honestly the way bands sound anyway. I mean, like eventually, it's like all of my favorite bands eventually jump the shark with like, okay, now it's like you know, like uh, I don't know, it's like the first Kings of Leon record. That shit is awesome. Yes, it is. And I hate everything after it. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, like, I don't know those guys at all. So this is me just talking about like people I have no idea, right? Like, no personal feelings involved. I liked it when they were like indie rock credence when they started playing and well, when they started writing songs going. Well, the people in the back of the arena might want to sing along. You know, it's like, that's hilarious. Like, you slow down your tempos. You, like, man, don't take yourself so seriously. Let yeah. Coldplay do that. Right. And, like, and I, and I like them, too. They're perfectly great. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, once you're writing something for an arena crowd, you, I, I think you probably lose the, like, you know, what it's like in your parents' basement feeling. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> well, man, let's bring it uh, right here. We mentioned uh, starting recording. Yeah. Ultra well happened. Uh, would it be this building? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. right. Um, let's think. We rented this building for a couple years. Then it went up for sale, and... Like, you know, Wes was able to snag the building. And at that point, it just turned into vulture whale stuff. We just started, like, we'd have practice. We'd learn a bunch of songs. Wes was the primary songwriting force. And, uh, you know, for a couple of years, this is just where we were every day. Like, didn't even have to talk about it. Just show up. Mm -hmm. We're here. And every record has been tracked here. Well, I mean, they're not even banned anymore. Every record was tracked here. Mm -hmm. Historically correct. Um, Vulture Whale Vulture Whale's albums are recorded here <laughs> so yeah just uh, like and that really became the you know we can track it ourselves we might get somebody else involved to mix but it's a okay this is the place where it's like so many people have recorded here now and it's like I, it's like I kept waiting for somebody to like tell me that my job was engineering <laughs> Like, I'm waiting for somebody to be like, man, this is your job now. And then eventually you got to go like, oh, wait, it's me. I'm supposed to say that. Yeah. Like, oh, I engineer and produce stuff. I initially hated mixing. I would farm it out to anybody. I just wanted it to be the, let's throw a bunch of stuff down. Let's be creative with it. I didn't want to worry about mixing stuff. And then eventually you just control freak out. And like now it's, now I'm getting to the point where I prefer things being sent to me that are tracked somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy tracking bands. That's always fun. But it's since the beginning of coronavirus time period, it's like, well, cool. You know, the yeah. technology's caught up. Everybody doing stuff at home is completely viable. Mm-hmm. Like, like anybody's got like a logic session or a garage band session. That's like, man, I what, what, what would this sound like bigger? Cool. Send it to me. Like mm-hmm. Dropbox and Google drive exist for a great reason. Yeah. I think about what's this Terry Ohm stuff. You know, oh yeah, does that from the house. I mean, you know, and the thing is, like, even on even on like my newer material, it's like Wes is playing drums on some of it, uh-huh. and he's doing it at home. I mean, we just had rehearsal. Yeah, but it's like, um, you know, there's no like because of coronavirus, it's like Bobby can record bass at home, Wes can record drums at home, I can record at home, or I just come here and I'm alone. And is that that y'all were rehearsing earlier? Yeah, yeah, that, um, that was the um, uh, whatever. I mean, my solo band thing or something. <laughs> and or whatever it's called less newbie and isus e- muchachos i don't, I don't know like but it's the, the you know it was let's come up with there should at least be a three-piece version of the band 
that is able to play the songs on my first record that I put out in July. And and actually, there's four of us. Tony Oliver, that plays um, keys in the band People Years with Wes, has been um, playing keys on it also, but he's out of town. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, cool. Let's have like a trashy three-piece version of it. Yeah. And what we discovered is it works really well, but keys are really good. Yeah. Man, it's hard, it's hard to play guitar and do singy stuff. And, you know, you don't want it to, like, I like it sounding bigger, uh, you know, not unlike, you know, maybe early to mid era U2 records where there's like, not like soundscapes and samples and shit, yeah. but like, I like it being that I don't have to be a guitar. I mean, I don't have to be a drummer playing guitar. Like, I don't have to go like chang, 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 chang to keep it going. Wes and Bobby can carry it. I can do interesting things on guitar and concentrate on vocals. Mm-hmm. And Tony fills out all the other stuff right. on keys. Yeah. So it's sonically pleasing and I don't have to like do, you know, crazy math in my head about delays on guitars and, you know, and God forbid sing, which is not like, like I can play a bunch of instruments and I can sing my stuff, but I'm by no means like, no one's going to ask me to sing the national anthem. Or, <laughs> God, let's get less out here. No. You got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny. So just to throw it out there to the public, if any sporting event needs me to sing the national anthem, I will do it. It'll be hilarious. I mean, I, I, I carry it. I can carry it. Let me know if that happens. Old I know, it'd be really that. funny. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be ridiculous. <laughs> well, man, uh, just, as this, I know the Dexterines, Cornelius Chapel, uh, mm-hmm. and we can get a little bit more of that story. How did, how did all that come together and just being here? You know, this is not wild speculation, but slight speculation. So Cornelius Chapel begins, and like most of Elliot's insane ideas, it's like, oh, well, cool, there should be a label that's like the Dexatines. You know, it's the, de- it's the vehicle for the Dexatines and all things around it. And at one point, like, like Vulture Whale was like, well, you know, maybe we should do something with them, or maybe not, or whatever. And at that time, Wes and Jake owned a business. And it's vapes, right? they owned, yeah, they owned Vulcan Vape. And, you know, for a good part of five years, that was like their life. And it had to be. Like anything that you've created, you, you know, it's your mm-hmm. baby. And, and once, once they sold that off, honestly, I think that Wes had, Wes had really come into his own on like a, on a day-to-day basis, like having some familiarity with the way that, you know, it's just a bunch of people. It's just a bunch of people. You get them on the phone. I need to talk to the distributor. You get on the phone with them. Like, like thanks to the internet, the world's a smaller place. I mean, like, I mean, there are like people who are like, you know, there's like your crazy Uber famous people, but realistically because of the internet, man, I can like, I can like stalk on Facebook and talk to probably any engineer or producer I've ever wanted to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so Wes had, you know, the drive to say like, man, I bet I can kind of run this on a day to day basis. And everybody went, that'd be great. Yeah. And because of that, it's like, you know, they're like Cornelius Chapel, what started as like, I don't even think I realized Wes was the day-to-day person on it until it had been like months and months and months. Yeah. I just felt like he was here a lot. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's upstairs doing something. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh, you're running the label. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> which, 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 you know, it's great because like it, it's a, it's a cool business model. And I think that everyone involved, whether it be, you know, I've, I'm like, I, I was happy to release my record on Cornelius Chapel. Like, um, I think it's just enough connectivity with a bunch of real artists and real bands mm-hmm. that like, you know, I, I think, you know, Wes 
has some he's got good taste in music and also he he likes what he likes and thinks that like you know like they're finding a way to release your music is really easy you just hop on TuneCore or or you know or DistroKid or, or you know yeah. you can always do it but actually the familiarity with the bands like I enjoy releasing a record that's on the same label as Terry Ohms or Austin Lucas or Dexatines or you know or um, Witch's Wall like any of these bands like like oh yeah I like all these bands yeah all these make total sense mm-hmm. like and you know it's like uh, doing stuff with you know, like doing things with like-minded other bands and your friends feels right but I think it also like the like the one caveat to it is like you know Wes is running a label in a small town so everybody and their grandmother wants to release a record on Cornelius Chapel right and that doesn't and the thing is it's really just a it's you know it, it's what it's what every label does labels aren't your parents labels are another company that's going like oh well I can profit off of you yeah and you know and I think that in releasing stuff on Cornelius Chapel it's like it's really about, you know, the enthusiasm of the other bands involved on the label. Like, you know, Wes works really hard on it. Like, I worked really hard on my record, too. Like, and it was stuff I didn't even know I had to do. Mm-hmm. So, upside of the pandemic was that I was able to, to go, like, what do I need to do on a day-to-day basis? Like, what do I need to do concerning Spotify or Apple Music? Or, Cleaning things like, up. Like, you know, what do I need to do for, like, oh, I need to post more often. I need to be on some kind of schedule. I need to actually give a shit. I need to, like make my own videos on it you know and the thing is it's like you don't clock in to be you you're you all the time yeah like i don't like change clothes to play a show right or have band practice or whatever i mean like it's it's a if it's going to work and someone's going to work on it, it has to start with me and cornelius chapel's an excellent label for that because it's a you know Wes found a vehicle to release cool records and we're friends and I'm glad he wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, besides no mass shootings, me working on my record is an upside to the pandemic. No school shootings. Yeah. Go coronavirus. That's it. I well, mean, I except, it's... except a few hundred thousand people who died from coronavirus. Right. And, you know, Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And just, man, about the label and like with Wes is, um, man, I own a lot of stuff. Um, a lot, of, a lot of the albums that's come out of here, of probably more of it than less, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it has a particular sound. Yeah. And, you know, when I was younger, and, well, I mean, with the Catalyst being R.E.M., it's like, when I get an R.E.M. record, mm-hmm. they're on IRS records. There would be a thing on, you know, on the, on the inside of the record where, like, you know, the record sleeve would have an advertisement for all the other stuff you could order from IRS records. So it was like, who else is on IRS? And it turned into like, oh, well, weird. Like, Wall of Voodoo and the Go-Go's. And it's like, you know, I mean, yeah. and it's like, and I, I would take a risk, you know, on like, oh, oh man, I've seen that weird Wall of Voodoo Mexican radio video. Man, I bet the album's pretty good. And it was, you mm-hmm. know. And so it was like this, I trusted IRS records. You know, the same way people trust Merge. Oh, oh, it's a merge band. What does that mean? Like, it's like, Verbena <laughs> was a merge band, and then we definitely were not a merge band. Yeah. Like, like it, it's, if you trust a label, it's interesting to see, like, what the vision of that is, like, what the real arc of all the bands is. Because I don't know if my solo record sounds anything like a Dexatines release, but there's a spirit about it that I think is similar. My stuff doesn't sound like Terry Ohms, but, you know, 
it's like so closely linked mm-hmm. that it, I don't know, some sort of unspoken gestalt, you yeah. know, it's like larger than the sum of its parts. Yeah. If it, I mean, it feels like a family and like that Austin Lucas uh, record. Yeah. Um, I was going to listen to that just because it's on the Cornelius Chapel yeah. label. Uh, any, anything goes with that. Like, a, say, Taylor Honeycutt, uh, that EP. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to check that out just because it came from here. You know, there is something about the studio side of it, in, like literally the room we're in right now, that's like Taylor Honeycutt stuff does not sound like the band Be It The Means. It's different genres. Mm-hmm. But they sound similar like and maybe it's me maybe i'm maybe i'm in the in the eye of the hurricane of working with all of it where it's like maybe the sound of the air in this room sound makes things sound a certain way like like if it isn't tragic city or this new band i've been working with the dakotas like it's like like none of them are sounding like each other the song structures are totally different different genres different everything Mm -hmm. like but something about it sounds like ol elegante or maybe it's something I'm doing wrong. Maybe they should all sound different. Like maybe there's got maybe there's a button I'm not pushing. That's <laughs> like, oh yeah, everything sounds the same. I should have hit this button. But you know, I mean, there's a lot of great. And you know, and actually, with Will Stewart being a pretty high watermark on out the, the stuff that's been recorded here, like, like uh, I'm like the Will Stewart stuff. It sounds great. Like I'm very, like I'm a fan of it too. So it's like I'm, I'm happy to, I'm lucky to work on it. But it's also like a, you know, what works with, with me and Will working together might not work with me and another person. Maybe Ol Elegante is not the right studio for, yeah, you know, for somebody else who wants to get like a super pristine sound. And there are plenty of studios in town where you can get that. Sure. And. You know, it's like, I'd like to pretend that it's like, no, man, I like it being this way when, I don't know, maybe I just don't know how to make it sound really, really good. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like keeping things kind of warm and dark. <laughs> I guess you. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, uh, like, when we talked about Verbena, you said, uh, I was 19, then I woke up, and I was 33. Yeah. And so... And it uh, was, I mean, it was a lot of fun, but it was yeah. a lot of, like, God. And so, just from 33 to now... Um, man, what is uh, what are some of the biggest takeaways? Um, whether it be with uh, playing music or um, just tracking bands or you know the re- recording side of things that you've, you've you know, learned. Um, I, like it, what's really weird is the band, the bit, like the main thing in the midst of that. Like it's like I played at Vulture Whale. Vulture Whale began the during that time period, mm-hmm. and then you know for the better part of 10 years we're always in vulture whale and like there was a cool like little like if you're looking at a graph it like goes up and up and up and it's like gaining momentum and then it kind of like levels out and peaks out after a handful of records which is like you know that's the way it goes i think there's a lot of like acceptance of like you know all bands have one thing in common they all are going to be over one day like it's just not going to be forever unless you're like the stones or something you know like but like uh in doing that, it's like uh, like over like the last thirteen to fifteen years, what I've really discovered is like I get like I always thought it was like man I, w- I want to be in a band I want to be on tour and like Verbena was the perfect vehicle for that because it's like we w- I mean we play shows to like you know we'd open for some larger band or just a show of our own in some town and it would be like there's a metric ton of people and it feels great mm-hmm. and then there'd be shows we play to like ten people in Bozeman Montana and it's like 
the good feelings of that, like, you know, facilitating other people to record things makes me as happy, if not happier than playing live. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of buildups playing live. There's sure. a lot of like rehearsal and stuff and things. And you know, everything can go wrong when you're playing live. I mean, if it's not fun. Yeah. The ghost of rock and roll. Yeah. Show. It's like, if you're not having fun, like if you're not having fun now, it's not going to get fun. <laughs> so like, like, like pick something else to do, you know, like, like, uh, but I love working with people and like, like, you know, all the examples, whether it be Will Stewart or Taylor Honeycutt or, um, or the Dakotas or God, I mean, there's like a zillion tragic city, little rain band. Um, you know, like the first real record I feel like that I really did was the band CBDB, their first record. And it's, there's like all of these bands and I know I'm not mentioning everyone I should, but it's like working with them. And like, we think we, it's going to sound like this, like over here on this hand, but it ends up sounding like this over here. It's like you shoot for one thing and you land on another and it's equally great. Yeah. Like that's the fun of recording stuff. And you know, and you know, and well, and what's crazy is like, you know, man, like I released my first solo record at 46 and the world is not waiting to see what a 46 year old white dude has to say. I mean, it's not, I mean, so it's like, cool. I'll play all the instruments on my record. I mean, Wes does it on his albums. I've always played a bunch of instruments and I've always started records and stopped them. I've released a song here and there on like a sampler and then not done a full record, but it was like, okay. Now that I've recorded all these other people, it's time to put my, you know, you know, put your best foot forward and like, okay, I'm going to release a record. And it's really like, if someone hears it, it's a calling card of what I can do musically and what I can do production wise. And there are moments that are like really gross on it. And there are moments that are like really slick on it. And it's like, okay, now I'll just start releasing like maybe a record every year and an EP in between every six months or something. And just like, just churn out some material. Like, there's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, like, I think that... I mean, the, Wes has got a hell of a catalog. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there's no... there, <laughs> Nothing's slowing it down. Not even close. Like, <laughs> between all the Vulture Whale, all the Wes McDonald, all the Terry Ohms, all the everything, I mean, it's like, you know, prolific. Yes, I got that, the stack with all that, just, I was just going through the CDs and I just wanted to stack it up when I was getting ready to work on Wes's episode and I was like what songs am I gonna choose yeah <laughs> I was like, There's a, this is a huge body of work to get through I, and I like that man yeah and I think it, I think it'll be cool to look back one day and like just have that body of work yeah it's you know I feel like uh, like in releasing like the first like I feel like other people's records are me and that's when I know that, like, I feel like I'm doing a good job. Like, the Taylor Honeycutt material or the Will Stewart material. Like, I hear a lot of me in Will's material. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And no, sometimes, I, sometimes I do play a, uh, you know, uh, I'll do additional instrumentation on just about everything. And what's funny is on the Taylor Honeycutt EP, I do backup vocals. Nice. But I'm not listed. It needed it. I'm singing, like, a fifth above Taylor. And it's buried on in there. Mm-hmm. But, like... And of course, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be like, and oh, hey, Taylor, I rapped on your song. I mean, nothing like that. Like, you know, like, but me putting a little bit of me in there, like, that's when I know, okay, I'm emotionally engaged with the material. And, you know, Will's, like, Will's album, County Seat, was like, you know, in, in engineering that and tracking it and mixing it, it's like something about it, you know, I mean, I was definitely like in kind of a weird time period personally. And like, it became this soundtrack to a lot of stuff going on. And I wasn't looking for a soundtrack, mm-hmm. 
but it just sort of fell into place. And so like, you know, working with Will on stuff is like, I know that it becomes this other extension of like, I might not have written the songs and I didn't write the words and I'm not singing it, but there's a part of me. Yeah. There's a real connection on there. And I think it's really just that like, if I didn't do this job and I was a casual music listener, I'd just be a really big fan of Will. Yeah. You know, that's what it would be like, you know, because man, the older you get, like the kicks aren't as often, you know, every day when you're young is just like, Oh my God, the most magical musical thing happened. Oh, yeah. And then eventually There's you're, magic everywhere, you know? And then, you know, and then, then eventually I'm like, God, is REM going to keep doing this shit? <laughs> you know? I mean like, and, and, and like, I think they're all like great performers, great players, great everything. But eventually you're like, I mean, damn, you too. Can't you go gently? I mean, you don't have to keep proving it. How many castles do you need to fucking own? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> That's the answer. And the answer is, I want all the castles. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. It, it's it's like, I, I, I'm constantly reminding myself that it's like, if I feel burnout working or if I'm like, not up for rehearsal or I just like hate the way my guitar sounds, I'm like, I'm like, eh. It'll all come back around. It just does. Music's mm-hmm. fun like that. Yeah. Like, I want to ask you this. Uh, this is uh, James Mullis. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and I think most of these stories will probably come from the Nick, and that's. Oh, this should be good. <laughs> this, uh, so Banner, uh, his his story came from the Nick. It's like uh, whether you were opening or someone was open for you, or maybe you were just there. Uh, what is the worst banner you have ever heard? Like, you can't say we don't live our songs, or, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. I know you've been around the block a time or two. Yeah. And it could be maybe your own. <laughs> Man, some of, oh, God, there's just too much. Can it be, so, wait. It's like I don't want to say anything too negative. The worst, like. The worst stage banter? Yes. Mm. I don't know. I would probably say like that, that. Like I might even go back to like Verbena stuff. Like some of our shows were just honestly like too much of a party with friends, and some just mean shit gets said. Ooh. You know, I mean, okay, you know, yeah. but it's all in good fun till it's not in good fun. Yeah. And like I'm sure when I drank, I said a bunch of horrible shit to people. <laughs> uh, uh, God, wait! What did James say? <laughs> it was uh, he he was playing at the Nick, and the band that was supposed to open it was a uh, it was a couple. It was a I think she played the violin, and he played guitar. Well, on the way to Birmingham, they got in an argument, and she told the guy, "I'm not gonna play." Well, he gets to the Nick doesn't have his ID so they won't serve him a drink and so he is just losing his shit and if they finally manager gets caught up there he's like yeah let's just serve the guy whatever and uh, he gets about halfway through and uh, he said well you can't say we don't live our songs that's that's some, that's that's some that's some good that's some good right there um and I guess supposedly the songs was about heartbreak and yeah. fighting and arguing you know it makes sense <laughs> Man, it's God. There's been just a zillion and a half things. One of my fa- actually, this isn't even something. This isn't prolific, but one of my favorite favorite times that I ever went to see anyone. There was a show. I was sitting in like Kate Taylor, Maria Taylor's younger, oh, Taylor's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Kate Hollingsworth, as she is now, um, she was playing. She asked me to play a show. She was like, "Man, if you'll play drums, and I'm going to get Jody Nelson to play guitar, and whoever Macy was playing bass, like, mm-hmm. and, it, and like the date didn't add up. It, like it just didn't work out. And it was like you know a month or so out. I'm like, ah, I'm just not. I don't think I'm available. You know, and I was like, I think uh, I'm not going to have time to rehearse or something weird. Mm-hmm. And then the show came up, and it was that. It was, and it was downtown somewhere, like, I don't know, some venue that's not even there anymore. And, but the band opening was Katie Mulhill's band, Katie Parker. So it's Katie and her sister Caroline. Mm-hmm. It's their band, which was called Abram and Sarah. Now, Katie has done like a ton of stuff. Like, she works at the Nick now. Like, like she's such a great singer, such a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. And like all the Buckle Bunny stuff yeah, happened over good. the pandemic. And like, like, uh, like, I've known her since she was about 18 and mm-hmm. her sister was 16. And, Went down to see them play a show and then realized when we got there, oh, this was Kate's show. And then we're looking around. It's like me, Macy, Jody, and Kate are all there. I'm like, well, fuck it. We should just play. No rehearsal. Like, we thought we couldn't do it, but we can. But, like, that's what made the night memorable for me. It was like, the no, we can't do it. And then a month later, there it is, and we do it. Like, yeah. But what I thought was great was that for Katie's show, Katie is up there playing. And every song every song Mm -hmm. she talked for about three solid minutes before the song about what it was about and it wasn't like a uncomfortable explanation it wasn't like god i was this kid explaining so like it was all like meaningful yeah and great it's and and the thing is i'm like watching and like and and it was i mean it was like a damn vh1 storytellers but you didn't know her yeah i mean i knew her just because i'd worked with her before or whatever even as a kid but like it was like to have the balls to VH1 storytell your own set to strangers. I was like, nobody cares what I have to say, mm-hmm. not as much as what Katie's saying right now. And I thought that was really cool. It's yeah. I mean, this is over ten years ago now. Yeah. Like, but I remember thinking like, there's your stage banner. There's the like she has the whole crowd. Like the whole crowd's in her hand. That's like a very positive. Thing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm thinking I like, that. like, yeah, it's like in whatever, whatever magic that she, or whatever sway she had over the crowd that night. I know I've never had it a microphone. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw, I didn't see all of it. It was Bill Street Music Fest and it was uh, Third Eye Blind was playing. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of nostalgic. We'll, we'll watch a couple songs. Yeah, why not? And he played a song and dude, he got to talking for, I don't know, it seemed like two, three minutes and he was just like. I guess he did too much drugs before he went on or whatever. He was just talking about everybody hug everybody, everybody love everybody. We're all one. And somewhere in the crowd is like, shut the fuck up and play music. <laughs> you know, oh, wait, I've got a good, uh, wait, I just realized a great stage banner song. I'm going to just uh, under the bus somebody. I was not witness. I was not witness to this. Years and years and years ago, there was this band called The Samples from Colorado. Uh-huh. And they wrote a bunch of real, I mean, they're still great songs, but eventually they were kind of a jam band. They became a jam band before they were jam bands. I mean, you just had the dead. Okay. You had like the dead and fish and maybe some fledgling bands. There was no like Umphreys McGee craziness out there. There was no like metal jam band. There was like, but the samples were very talented and the guy singing sounds like Sting. Hmm. I mean, I mean, and I mean like, wow, it's impressive. Like he's got chops. Yeah. And uh, they they had a bunch of songs that honestly they were just like good simple songs, kind of like college music. 
And I heard it when I was in high school. And I was like, man, this band's great. And it's like, man, they're like just some normal dudes from Colorado. And I, like mm-hmm. another weird introduction to like, there's a touring circuit for bands that aren't on major labels. Like, and this band eventually, they, you know, they like would sell out the upstairs of Zydeco or something, you know, and they were playing and a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, like they're doing the thing and they get to the end of a song and they've jammed for way too long at the end of this thing and shown off and been like, you know, it's kind of hippie, hippie rock shit. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, like that. And this one buddy of mine in the back is like, boo, <laughs> boo. <laughs> and as the story goes, they're like, man, you got something to save. Why don't you fucking come up here? And he does. <laughs> and he gets on stage. He's like, man, I feel like people came here and paid money to hear you play the songs they know, not to just dick around. <laughs> like, And now I am paraphrasing all of it, <laughs> all of it. But, you know, you can't beat that. Somebody just, <laughs> boo. That's epic. You know, I'm also a big fan. Like um, my my buddy Daniel Ferris, uh, Daniel. Uh, you know, he's a front of house guy at Saturn, and it's just he's an incredible engineer and producer. Also, like his whole thing w- would always be like, you know, the band would play like a song, and everybody's like, "Yay!" And he'd be the guy in the back going, "One more song!" Like, <laughs> you can't beat that. You can't beat that. Oh, you yeah. know, it, w- one more song after one song. <laughs> Is better than like somebody yelling free bird. I mean, like, yeah, it's that's just hilarious. I'm gonna try that out. Yeah, if we ever have live music, yeah, again. If, if live music comes back <laughs> and right when they start to say, just one more, one more song. But I don't know if he's trolling me or what. What's going um, on here? I, I think that's the next step. I think the next step is the, the internet won't be enough, full in person troll, <laughs> like trolling somebody and, and just going, here's what's happening. Yeah, you are my target. Yeah. I'm going to ruin your night. Yeah, I think that with the internet, though, is like what's that that's created is like, especially, I'd say, uh, people younger than 30 who have, like, grew up on social media. Yeah. And, like, uh, talking shit on playing their video game or whatever is like, uh, they forgot that in reality, at a place, you'll get hit in the mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, Somebody it's, al- it's always funny when that happens. Oh, you know, uh, one of the more entertaining, like, you know, Will Stewart has, like, the the top five list stuff that he does on Facebook. Oh, yeah. and, the, and they're very yep, entertaining. They're fun. His tone is correct on the internet. And, like, uh, one of the things is I'll miss one of them. Like, I actually removed the, the Facebook app from my phone because I was like, it just can't. Yeah. Can't do it. Elections too much. Like, can't be involved more. Can't post. Can't say anything. Yeah. Can't, like, I was like, I'll just be, I'll just get on, I'll go through my browser and just be a spectator. Like, but uh, Will would post something about like top five guitars, and he'd get like a thousand comments. Yeah, and then he'd text me to push me and just say like, "Hey man, I think you should comment on this." Like we would set up a whole like troll behind the scenes uh-huh. of messing with somebody, going like, going like, "Nah man, Telecasters just aren't where it's at anymore." I mean, somebody's so dumb, but like, yeah. just like it's very trivial. Yeah, just trivial laughing at like, <laughs> oh man, just like you know, let's just see who let's see who really goes off on like why strats are the best guitar and like, and it's just dumb, but like, there's nothing better to do. So yeah. you know, yeah, those lists are fun. I th- I think the um, top five best hangover food was one of my favorite ones. You know, it, it, and you everybody know, defaulted Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go sober. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Just get something greasy. Yeah, something greasy always works. Mm-hmm. Always. Um, let's think. Is there anybody else we need to trash? 
no, we've been we've been very supportive of all peoples. Mm-hmm. I think so. We've done a good job. And this, uh, I think that's it. I got nothing. I had a while we were on the boo. I had a question, but I, it slipped my mind. It's it is after two thirty. You need to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I gotta handle kid stuff. Um, I hope I didn't cut us to give us too small of a window. No, no, we're good. Um, um, we got an hour. Fuck yeah. Chop it up. Do something cool. Yeah, cool. Uh, is there anything else I want to say? Yeah, anything else you want to add or subtract no. that we didn't cover? I don't think so. I feel like, no, I feel I feel very positive about that. Man, you're so easy to talk to. It's, it's annoying. Too good at it. <laughs> Drawing people in with your, with your laid-back vibe. <laughs> well, all right, man. Thank you so cool. much for yeah. having me. That's official. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to on. <laughs> it helps a lot. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell your dog, tell your wife, tell your husband, I don't care. Tell somebody. We started out with a song called Never Fallen Away off of Les Newby's album Clouded. And we're walking it out the door right now. What's song called Landed? 2007 Vulture Well. Self titled album. Peace out.
inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.